0: Amen. Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. This evening we will be looking in Judges chapter 5, and you can find it on your pew Bible on page 203 to 205. Hear now the reading of God's holy Word. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves "'Willingly, bless the Lord. "'Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, "'to the Lord I will sing. "'I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. "'Lord, when you went out from Seir, "'when you marched down from the region of Edom, "'the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. "'Yes, the clouds dropped water. "'The mountains quaked before the Lord, "'even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel.' "'In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel.' My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians as the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Break out in a song. Arise, Barak. Lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff, The princes of Issachar came with Deborah and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan and Dan. Why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali too on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite of tent dwelling, women most blessed. He asked her for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window, she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answered. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera? Spoil of dyed materials embroidered? Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as a spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord." But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest for 40 years. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we pray that we would have a similar confession of the Apostle Peter. You have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? And so we pray this night, speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My family had an interesting trip to church this morning. I won't give you all the details, but one of them, our youngest, had a song stuck in his head. Now, I must say, it did not come from mom or dad. It did come from our highly esteemed music director, and we are grateful for him and his ministry to our children. But our youngest was singing the Sound of Music song all the way to church. Now, you've sang it before, right? Do, dear. I'm not going to keep singing, but you understand where we're going. You have sang it. It takes just a few seconds to get through it. But for our son, it took us all of 10 minutes to get here, and he would sing it over and over and over again. And so you as parents know you have to be careful what your kids sing not because of the content merely but because they're going to continue to repeat it. And so often we can think about how great of annoyance it could be. And you can think about the song title and perhaps you entered and you had that song going through your mind. This is the song that never ends. It goes on and on. My friend, we're not going to keep going. But you get the point. That song does create a level of frustration because it doesn't end. And yet, our text this night is a song, and it is a song because of the grace and work of God, it too will never end. It's a foretaste of what you and I have to look forward to in glory, that the people of God will sing. Now, if you were with us last Lord's Day, especially in adult Sunday school, we were talking about that. We were talking about it from Colossians chapter 3, the imperative of the people of God that we are to sing. It's not a suggestion. It's a command of the Lord. It's, in fact, one of the most repeated commands in all of Scripture, that we are to praise Him, that we are to sing to Him. And so what we get tonight is something for the church. How are we to sing to God for all eternity? It's a unique privilege you as believers have. It's my understanding that if you were to investigate all other major world religions, do you know what you do not find? You do not find congregationally directed singing because it's not meant to be a joyous occasion. But you, the people of God, have been given ample reason over and over and over to sing and to sing a new song. The Bible loves singing, doesn't it? It provides an entire hymnal for you called the Psalms. But not only in the Psalms do you find songs, you can find it other places. And so we want to be a people who sing. And that's what Deborah and Barak are doing here. But to understand this song, that is Judges chapter 5, you needed to know something about Judges chapter 4. And so if you were with us last week, if you wanted to put it in literary terms, you got the prose. This is the narrative of what happened. And here's our poetry. This is the song. And so, what did we learn in Judges chapter 4? Well, God had raised up a judge. Her name is Deborah. And why was a judge raised up? Well, it's because of the continual pattern of Israel. They are doing evil, what is in the sight of the Lord. And so, God raises up Deborah. He has, or Deborah has a commander, a general, you might say. His name's Barak. But the people of God, having sinned against him, have been sold into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who has another hired mercenary named Sisera. And Deborah provides a prophecy that says, you need to get up and you need to go and fight for the Lord will deliver you. Barak gets his 10,000 men and they go and fight. And if you remember the story, they go up against Sisera's 900 chariots of iron, having no chance to win from a worldly standpoint. And yet God defeats the enemy. And what we learn is not just at that battle, but Sisera, he gets off of his chariot, he flees and he finds himself in what he would think is safe territory or a safe haven at the house of Heber, whose wife is Jael. And he asks for water, she gives him milk, he takes a nap, and you remember what happened. She drove a tent peg through his temple. And so if you want to understand this song, you have to know what she's singing about. Because it seems to me that something had to have been written right around the time in which that event took place. And so what I want to do tonight is to unpack this song. And I want to help us as a church, as a people of God, how do we prepare to sing the song that never ends? How do we learn from what Deborah and Barak are singing and what is its modern application? How do we apply this text to our very life? The first thing that we need to remember is something simple. Redemption creates response for song. When you have been redeemed, one of the most appropriate applications is to sing. And so that's what Deborah and Barak do. Now, how do we understand their song well, have got three points. There's one story. There's two sides. And there are two women. One story, you can find it in the first 11 verses of chapter 5. It's the day that Deborah and Barak are delivered. The people of God are delivered. A war has taken place. Victory has been granted to Israel. And then they sing. They sing to the warrior. And it's not to man. It's to God. And they're thankful. They're thankful for what God has done. Did you notice how they begin saying, there's something thankfulness about the leaders that God has raised up. Leaders, they took the lead in Israel. People offered themselves willingly. Don't you appreciate what they're doing here? They're anchoring song into redemptive history. It's demonstrating something of this ongoing nature of what God is doing. Leaders have been raised up a war has taken place or a battle has been fought and it has been won on behalf of God's people. And what do we learn in this song right away? Singing, worship, it's not for spectators. It's for participants. That's what we do in this hour. It's not for spectators. You're not here merely to see, to have everything be done for you. You are here to participate in the worship of God often through song, sometimes in prayer, sometimes in confession, but then actively listening to God, what are you saying? And here we have the participants of worship. They sang together. And why are they singing? Why are they singing to God? Because He's sovereign. That's why. Because He has promised something and He has delivered exactly what He said He would do. He is the central figure of the song, isn't He? Over and over, it is God. It is His actions. He is what is dominating this. And Deborah says, when you understand that, you have to sing. And not merely sing, you have to go tell others about it. When you recognize what God has done, you can't just hold that in. It's not just something simple and a smile for yourself. It's meant to be shared. We get a similar song, don't we, from Moses in Exodus chapter 15. When the people of God were afraid, here comes the chariots of Egypt. Their backs are against the water, literally. And God divides the sea, delivers his people, and what is the response? Well, Moses bursts out into song. And you can read it in Exodus chapter 15. But it's the same point. Moses is saying, God did this. Look at how he worked on our behalf. When we were defenseless and powerless, we had no hope. God worked. He saved. And so Deborah is saying something quite similar. The Lord goes down from Seir, she says, and he marches. And what is she saying? God is coming. He's on the move. And he is leaving where you might think he is. And notice what happens when God moves. Did you get that description? The earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked. That which is most assuring in our life, what we might think is firm, as certain, as strong. It's trembling. It's quaking. It cannot hold itself because of the presence of God. And then she says, yes, yes. Even the God at Sinai, you can see it in verse 5. The mountains quaked before the Lord. Even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Why is she trying to remind the people of God who showed up at Sinai? Well, as Dr. Davis likes to say it, it's because God's not in historical concrete. He doesn't just stay at Sinai God moves with his people again and again and again. It wasn't just a one-time act that says, here's salvation. Now, you guys really need to figure it out this time. This is your one chance. No, the God who showed himself at Sinai is the God who shows himself at Mount Tabor. The one who shown his presence there is also here. It's the song that doesn't end again. And again, and again, God redeems His people. It's an old image, you might say, for a new situation. Here He is preparing to care and shepherd and redeem His people. He will not let you go. But Deborah doesn't just tell you this story of what it's like when God comes. She also outlines... What's the condition of man? What kind of people are we talking about? She provides some historical context. It seems to me that Shamgar is some kind of a contemporary with her. In the days of Shamgar, she says, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. What is she saying? Well, for 20 years, they've been oppressed by Jabin. And what has that oppression been like? Well, you didn't go on vacation. You didn't leave home. You certainly had no forms of protection, no weapons, no military. You didn't just walk on the road. It wasn't safe. And so you're looking at a, an empty far country village of people who are governed by fear and always afraid of who's coming behind them. And here's the people of God being under the impression of Jabin. It's a, it's a powerless situation. It's a defenseless people. It's a total contrast of who God is, isn't it? God who had promised something. He brings his might to the fight as it were. And he says, yes, you might be hopeless. You might be powerless. You might be defenseless, but I am not. Here I am, Deborah switches gears on us, doesn't she? Because you want to know something about why are they so defenseless. And then she provides that really hard truth, doesn't she? What does she say in verse 8? We recognize you have no weapon, you have no military, you're afraid, you're powerless. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. They chose new gods. This is not unique, obviously. We're in Judges 5, and this has happened multiple times. But here we are again. We want to worship another, a new God. It's demonstrating how rebellious we really are. That even though God has redeemed us over and over and over and over again, we still look for something new. We want something new. More. And it should overwhelm us because now you're recognizing grace, aren't you? Because at that verse, God could have said, The heck with you. I've given you five chapters of Judges to figure this out. Almost a hundred years of oppression to try to figure this out. And you're nowhere close. You continually go back to these foreign. Idols, and yet what does God do? He delivers them. Maybe you remember the words of Paul when we were dead in trespasses and sin. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. What do I think Deborah is saying here in this story so far? Salvation isn't for people who can help themselves. Salvation is for people who know they can't save themselves, people who have taken a real look in the mirror and figured out, it's not me. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried again, and I cannot save myself. You know, good songs help us do that. It's not simply we want to praise who God is. We also want to have a right understanding of who we really are. Because the more you understand who you really are, it affects how you praise God. When you recognize what he has really done because of who you really are, something seems to change in the heart. Something tends to happen. And that's the gospel. That's the good news that Deborah is saying. Sing about it. Don't just sing about it. Tell others about it. Tell everyone. Doesn't matter who. You're not trying to make your list. If they're living, if they're breathing, you're singing and you're telling them. And that's, his, that's her point. What does she say? Tell of it. You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, if they're wealthy, tell them. And you who walk by the way, if you're poor, tell them. If you live in the city, tell them. If they're in the country, tell them. You haven't met anybody whom you cannot tell. Who God is. And you can start with yourself. I was dead, but I was made alive by the grace of God. And Deborah's just providing a simple song Tell them the truth. These peasants went up to fight against the biggest, baddest man there is, and God showed up and saved them. And God saved them not because they had a good plan but because God is rich in mercy. What would be an application just to this? How is your singing? When you sing, are you singing loud? Are you telling others? Have you recognized the true condition of your own heart? And have you seen the true condition of God's and what He does for His people? There's one story. There's a mighty God and a powerless people and God comes to deliver them. There's also two sides. This song continues and the stanzas, if you were, shift. They, they shift the focus of not just the presence of God and the condition of man, but, but then here come the tribes of Israel. Deborah starts to tell you about all of them. You might say it's something of a, something of a national anthem. This is what the people of God should sing. And did you hear what was included in this anthem? What is Deborah saying about the people of God, these 12 tribes? Ephraim, you marched down for me against the mighty. You came into the valley. You came to fight. The tribe of Benjamin, you did likewise. Issachar, you were, you were faithful. Makir, that's a group associated with the tribe of Manasseh. You marched down the commander's. Isn't it beautiful? These tribes they they respond in faith. We believe you, God. We trust in you, and we're coming to fight. And she takes it even a step further, doesn't she? Zebulun, you risked your very life to help us, and you too, Naphtali, you gave everything you had. Knowing you were outmanned, knowing you were outgunned, knowing you were outplanned, you fought. You fought the fight of faith because you believe that God said he was going to fight for you, and they show up. Perhaps that hits home a little bit. I trust you've probably never met anyone in your life named Sisera, but you have met Sisera's, haven't You? an enemy far stronger than you? An enemy far smarter than you? An enemy far wealthier than you, more powerful than you? And what do you do? Are you like Benjamin? Are you like Zebulun, who puts on the full armor of God and believes that God's promise says, I will fight for you. And therefore you use what he has given to you, The sword of truth. You've got his word. Do you believe the Bible that it is strong enough for all evil attacks? That you can use the scripture to fight off the enemy? The enemy of the internet, the enemy of social media, the enemy of newspapers, if you still read those. Or maybe there's a worse enemy. Maybe it's the enemy of self. When doubt creeps in, desires are there and you don't know where they came from or what to do. Do you believe in the word of God being strong enough, sufficient enough that God has said, I will fight for you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Obey my commandments Deborah sings of these tribes that came to the fight in faith. Unfortunately, she doesn't just sing about those tribes. She lists a few others, doesn't she? It's not just that there were some tribes who show up in faith. She also sings of the tribes that show unbelief. You can see it beginning in verse 15. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart, why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart oh Reuben you talked about it you had a really good plan you thought things all the way through your blueprints they were effective but when it came time to fight you sat down and you played it safe it's just a fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? Isn't that what we can read in Genesis chapter 49? When Jacob is blessing all of his sons, what does he say about Reuben? You are as unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence. Reuben, you're you're indecisive and you're not going to prosper. Isn't that what we see here? You see, faith is not just some knowledge. Can I learn enough so that I can believe? Can I talk about it enough so that maybe I believe? Can I have a really good plan? There's something active about faith. Maybe you don't know a whole lot, but you can act on what you do know. Don't be a Reuben who just talks about things and yet sits down. Gilead, you, you stayed home. You didn't send anyone to the fight. The border, was it too high? Was it too far? Was it too hard? I don't know, but, but you didn't come. You stayed home. You sat on the couch. Dan, you and Asher, you just cared about your profit margin. It was your business that was being hit or possibly, what are we reading? You know, one pastor calls it, calls it the Burger King Christianity, to have it your way. You're looking at tribes who just, how can I get the victory without giving a whole lot of effort? How can I get what I want without having to do a whole lot? Sometimes we're just too easily satisfied. And then she goes on. She talks about Meraz. The angel of the Lord has condemned this people We don't know a whole lot about them. They must have been so strategically close, and yet they didn't come to the fight either. And the angel of the Lord condemns them and curses them because they would not help. And what do they curse for? Neutrality. Neutrality. And what do we see? There's no such thing as being neutral. You are either for God where you are, in fact, against him. You are either living in faith or you are not. How do you understand these tribes? It's simple, isn't it? It's what Jesus said would happen. Those who want to save their life lost it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll gain everything. And here we have people trying to save their own lives It's this deadliness of sins, of omission. It's not always about not doing wrong things. Sometimes it's about doing right things. And these people sat on the side. They did not stand to fight, they did not believe in the promise of God. And so they did nothing. And so Deborah gives us the battle scene kings came and fought. The Canaanite Canaanite army went down into the low spot of the Kishon River. Think something like a creek. There's not a whole lot there. Certainly not a lot of water. They're awaiting Israel. They're looking for this battle. They're going to take their silver, as it says. And here comes Barak. And here come those faithful tribes that are coming down from Mount Tabor. And what does the Canaanite army see? They see the horizon. They see the skylines. It's getting a little dark. Rain starting to come. The storms are here, and this little creek becomes a crushing river. Those 900 chariots of iron now make no sense. They cannot move, they're stuck still in the mud. They're sitting ducks, as it were. And God delivers his people. This isn't a coincidence. Deborah already said that God was going to do it. Get up and go and fight today, she said. God will deliver you. Go and fight. And she's so confident that you can read this song and she's mocking their gods. She's talking about Baal, who's supposed to be the god of weather and of stars. Where are you, Baal? Baal? Did you go on vacation? Your people are here and you left them out to dry. There's Deborah's song and yet God shows up in full might to say, I am the Lord and these are my people. They are mine. I've created them for my glory. You cannot have them. It's the same certainty Jesus gives. I have you in my hand. No one, Nothing can snatch you out. And you need to think about that. No one. That means no foreign enemy. And it also means no enemy inside either. The enemy of Danny can't snatch himself out of the hand of God because he said, No one can snatch you out of my hand. You have one story. You have two sides, and then you learn of these two women, Jael and Sisera's mother. We learn from Judges 4, Jael, this non-Israelite, came to fight and help Israel. Sounds a little bit like Rahab. Jael wanting to side herself with the people of God rather than her own people. And what do we learn in this song? It's continuing to provide some well, some, uh, some aspects of humor, some aspects of celebration. That's how they would have heard it. You and I might read it and pause and go, I'm uncomfortable singing this, but not Israel. They would have sang this with a lot of passion. What is it that we're learning? Look at the victory celebration. Look at the actions that Deborah outlines of Jael. She gave, she brought, she sent, she struck, She crushed, she shattered, she pierced. And so you say to yourself, I don't need those details. But you do, my friends. You do need those details because we often try to treat God like some domesticated pet rather than the warrior that he is. Do you remember that famous quote of C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia? On Aslan, is he safe? oh no, he's not safe, but he's good. And here we see God fighting. And what I think you and I can see in just these descriptions of what is taking place with Jael, you get the other side. We looked at Ehud, this left-handed, weak salvation. It's coming out of nowhere, but Jael's right-handed She puts the hammer in the right hand. You get the full might of God. He is not one to mess with. He is glorious. He's majestic, but he's powerful. You cannot fight against him. And she's showing the strength of God because did you see what happens in verse 27? What's the result of Sisera? Sisera sank. Sisera lay Sisera sank, Sisera fell. Man is so weak. Who are you to stand before a holy God thinking you could overcome? He's powerless and he cannot escape. And yet secondly, I think this should make us tremble. It ought to bring a sense of holy fear because of the finality and the fullness of God's judgment. It's never an afterthought. God doesn't say, oh, well, I guess now I need to judge. When you forsake Him, you're living under the full wrath of God. It's real. It's serious. And some of you know it better than others. You think of people in your own family you think of people in your neighborhood, you think of people at work, you recognize what she's describing here. If you're an enemy of God, you will perish in your sin. Hell is very real. And she is outlining it for you. If you go against God, you will lose and you will be destroyed And don't you appreciate the language of the New Testament talking about God-fears? We've lost that in our day. We're afraid to even say that we should fear God, but we should, because He's not your little pet. He is the uncreated creator of all things, and He is by no means safe, but He is extremely good, and He is very, very strong for His people and so you don't just get his might and his holiness. You get the picture of the covenant-keeping God. There's a foretaste here. It's an observation I'd, I hadn't seen. Did you see what Deborah says in verse 24? Most blessed of women be Jael. There's only two women in all of Scripture who get that title. Most blessed of women, Jael and Mary. Mary the mother of Jesus. You remember when Elizabeth finds her to let her know that she's pregnant? She calls her most blessed. Why? Because of who's in her womb. And what do you know about the one who's in, his, in her womb? He's the one who's gonna come crush the head of the enemy. And what does Jael do? She crushes the head of the enemy. Most blessed are you, Jael, don't you just love how faithful God is? That in Judges chapter 5 we get this title and you see it again in Luke to let us know I have not forgotten there is a far greater enemy than Sisera and his head will be crushed and I have provided the very one for it. You don't just learn of Jael and and Sisera's mother you kind of get a picture of two mothers. One is or I'll get there in a minute. You get Jael, but you get Sisera's mother, and what is she doing? Maybe, just maybe, you felt sympathy for her for just a second because she's anxiously waiting. She wants to see her son return from war, from battle. And then Deborah tells you what she was doing. She wasn't just anxiously waiting. She had these princesses or harem, possibly women under her control who are trying to encourage her, trying to provide some measure of affirmation. It's okay. And she tries to do the same. But what is it that she is looking for for comfort? What do we learn about Sisera's mother? Be patient. Winning is hard and gathering the treasure is harder. Exploiting and assaulting women is probably the nicest way I can say it. It takes time. That's what sister's mother is doing. That's where she's trying to find her comfort. That her son is assaulting women, getting a new wardrobe to come home in. This son of hers who left a palace, the irony is he's dead in a tent. He left riches and is now in extreme and utter eternal poverty. And we need to be reminded of that. Enemies often seem that they are successful, but they all end up in the same place. The tent of poverty. The wrath of God. And so we have Jael, we have Sisera's mother, but, but then you get the language of Deborah. She calls herself a little bit of a mother. You can see, uh, you can see that in verse seven. Sisera's mother being one who demonstrates how awful, how foolish unbelief is, that you would deny the faith, turning from God, what is she saying about Sisera's mother? Turning from God is turning from reality. That's what you're doing when you turn from God. No one has ever turned from God because they were smarter. No one has ever turned from God because they were more logical or more scientific what we learn with Sister's mother is she put her hope in a man. She trusted in the power of a man, and she never considered God. Not once. She did not consider God his word. She saw her son as stronger than the one who created him, and it provided a false sense of comfort. She's waiting just to hear that her son has perished. And yet, what do we learn with Deborah, the mother of Israel? She is singing for joy, trusting in the righteousness of God Himself. She loves her God and loves truth, and she teaches people to sing in light of it. Such that she finishes with a little prayer. Did you catch it in verse 31? May your enemies perish. Probably not something you wake up saying, and yet. Maybe it is. It's the same thing you're saying every time you recite the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. What are we talking about? The kingdom of God coming is the conquering of the kingdom of the enemy. May your enemies perish. And she finishes with a prayer, this picture, this foretaste of what is to come. So I see that you're doing something, God, now, but I see that there's more you're going to bring a greater deliverance. And yet while we wait, that is, you, the people of God, this glorious appearing of Christ Jesus, we can pray the same. We can pray the very same prayer. We want to pray that evil is punished and done away with, that injustice would end, that evil people and evil deeds would perish. Your prayer can be very simple. God, either save them or crush them, but do not let evil reign. What do we do with this song? The Bible's full of songs, and Judges 5 is one of them, and it ought to strike you with a great word of excitement because you have something far better than what Deborah finishes with. What do you find out? And the land had rest for 40 years. They had reason to sing. They were going to get 40 years of rest, but if you're in Christ, you get way more than 40 years. You get eternal rest. You have all the more reason to sing And to sing the song that will never end. Do not be a spectator in this church. Be a participant who worships and worships faithfully and worships fully. And yet, there's a more challenging application, isn't it? When the heavenly roll call comes, and it will, which tribe are you going to be a part of? The ones who sing the anthem of glory? And they fight the fight of faith. Or the ones who sit on the bench and play it safe. They want to stay home. Will you put on the armor of God? Will you read your Bible? You pray your Bible? Confess your Bible? Sing your Bible? Use your Bible? Will you play it safe? You, You know that phrase there. In verse 31, it says, but your friends, it can be translated, those who love him. Those who love him, do you love him? What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll obey me. you follow me. Do you love him? And will you sing for him? We have a great privilege as we finish this service to sing. Oh, how I can't wait to hear your voices sing and sing loud because you who are in Christ have eternity to do this very same thing. Well, let us pray to that end. Our God and our Father, we would be foolish not to confess that we are some of those people who have chosen new gods, that it is easy for us to look to that which we can see, that which we can touch and taste and put all of our trust in tangible things. And yet what we learn is they're temporary things. But our hearts tell us that they have been made for eternity, and yet only you, our God, can fill it. And so might your people this night Hear of such a great deliverance, not just in Judges chapter 5, but the one that is still happening, that Jesus, who is mighty to save, is still saving. And so we pray for those who even hear this night. Would you save those who have never had a reason to sing? Give them one this night. And yet those who do, remind them what kind of tribe they are. Those who stand on the promises of God and come to the fight not in their strength, but in the strength that is given in Christ Jesus, the armor of Almighty God. So help us this night as we close, that our hearts and our minds might be ever fixed on Jesus, and we would sing a new song we ask in His name and for His glory. Amen.